Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast, presented by Canon Press. So, welcome to the podcast. This is episode 228. I'm Douglas Wilson, and I am glad you decided to spend this next uh, little bit of time with us. Oh, probably 15 minutes or so. So, one of the things that's before us right now that I wanted to talk a little bit about is war in the Ukraine. Uh, what are we? What are we as Christians supposed to think about war in the Ukraine? Well, as I'm recording this, the war, the actual shooting, just started uh, a few days ago with the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. And let me start by saying that war, this war, like all wars, well, especially because it involves the Ukraine, this war is a tragedy because wars are tragic. Warfare is awful, and the Ukraine has got a long, sad history, and this is just another chapter in this long and sad history. So it's just sad. It's just tragic. That's one thing. The next thing that we want to keep in mind, though, when, when war breaks out, is that this is not anything cosmically unusual. This is something that people do. And as we do it, we have to realize that we do it because we're sinners. The war hawks oftentimes want to speak about these things as though it's a matter of white hats and black hats. And they say Putin's evil and, and the Russians are evil. And so consequently, we need to need to go to war. We need to rattle our sabers a bit and so on. So the second thing I want to emphasize here is that in this conflict, pretty much everybody is a scoundrel. Okay. In this conflict, pretty much everybody is a scoundrel. What I argued in, our, uh, in the previous podcast is that the basic division that's breaking out in, uh, all over is the division between the rulers and the ruled. So upon the invasion of, I saw some footage of an enormous protest against the war in St. Petersburg, Russia. In other words, Russian streets filled up with Russians protesting what was being done to Ukraine. And of course, the Ukrainians are average rank and file Ukrainians are going through an awful time because of this. And we've got Americans over here worried about what's going to be done. Are we going to get dragged into something that we shouldn't be dragged into? And so on. So the, basically, uh, when I say everyone's a scoundrel, I don't mean uh, the, poor civilian, the poor civilians in Ukraine who are being shelled, and we should be praying for the Christians there. We should be praying for the Christians in Russia, uh, because it's going to cost them something to testify to what's right. This, this kind of thing isn't right. We should also be praying for the United States, for Christians in the United States, as we stand up to our government. So when I say everybody's a scoundrel, I am saying that Putin is a scoundrel. I'm saying that the government, the ruling class in the Ukraine, is corrupt. They're not a collection of saints either. And then when I look at the people who are making decisions about our involvement, the American involvement in the Ukraine, well, remember that our president, President Biden, has made an awful lot of money out of Ukraine. Hunter Biden has made a lot of money out of Ukraine. And we live in a time when our ruling class is so corrupt that 
there is no real possibility of the uh, of any honest investigation of how many millions of dollars has the Biden family made out of Ukraine, and how much is that fact going to drive the decision making when it comes to what we do in Ukraine? Okay, so that's the second thing. All the decision makers, Putin, Ukrainians, Americans, I don't see any place where we can look and say, ah, these, these people are the good guys. These are the people to stand with. Uh, the third thing, I'll, and I'll, I'll say, make two points under this head and, and then just leave it there. I think it is undeniable that America double-crossed the Ukrainians in a bad way. In the breakup of the Soviet Union, the Ukraine used to be part of the, the Soviet Union, and in the breakup of the Soviet Union, one of the things that that breakup did is it left Ukraine with a bunch of nukes. They had a bunch of nukes. So we assured, we talked, we sweet-talked Ukraine into giving up their nukes. And we said, if you give up your nukes, then we will have your back. We will guarantee, we will guarantee your borders. We will, we will help you um, maintain your independence and sovereignty. And we flaked. So w w that commitment was a commitment that we flaked on. So we didn't do what was right by Ukraine there. At the same time, the Russians are not out of their mind to be worried about NATO. There would have been a way to diffuse all of this if we had just given assurances that Ukraine was not going to be made part of NATO and that NATO bases were not going to continue to get closer and closer to Russia, encircling Russia. Now, if, uh, and, and this is, um, I'm not saying uh, that we should step in and do anything at this moment, because I don't know that there's any way to unscramble the egg. I think this is just a bad, this is just a bad mess. When Putin seized Crimea a little bit ago, if a referendum had been held in Crimea, and the people there had voted on whether to be part of Russia or part of Ukraine, it's at least arguable that the referendum would have gone in favor of being together with Russia, because there are a lot of, uh, a lot of Russians in that area. And I don't know enough to know if that's the same state of affairs in East Ukraine. But you can't, you can't just say popular sovereignty, if, if, if you were to put up a, a referendum at any given point, then they would have gone here or there because what about Quebec? What about a referendum for independence for Hawaii? How would that go? Uh, you know, and, and so on. So basically, I think that Christians need to be thinking long and hard about our allegiance to a disintegrating American empire. That's what, that's what we're dealing with. I think we should remain steadfastly loyal to our nation but I don't think that is the same thing as being steadfastly loyal to the national project that has been pursued for the last uh, number of years. So I hope to, be, to write more on this. I want, hope to write more about military conflict and American empire and conscription and military conflict, etc. Right now, I'd, it's uh, looking at, at the governments involved, Putin, Ukrainian government and our government, it's a pity in my mind that they can't all lose. Oh, we will be guys.
We're continuing on with podcast episode 228, and we continue onward in our study of sins in the New Testament. The word eklepo means fail. The word eklepo means fail. Now, of course, it's not the case that every failure is a moral failure. Sometimes our physical strength fails. If you were to give a calculus exam to a third grader, he would fail. And if he didn't, you should keep an eye on him. But when the context shows that a failure is a moral concern, then we may reckon it as being among the sins. In the one instance where this word occurs in the New Testament, we find that it is just this sort of context. So Luke 22:32 has this, But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. Jesus is talking to Peter. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now, Obviously, if we're supposed to live by faith from first to last, it'd be Romans 16 and 17, it would be a moral failure on our part if our faith were to fail. If God calls us to live by faith, the just shall live by faith, as uh, says in Habakkuk. If our faith is to fail, then that's, that would be bad. That'd be a sin. In this context, Jesus has prayed for Peter to the intent that even though Peter was going to collapse in his denials of the Lord, at a fundamental level, his faith was not going to fail the way it did with Judas. So Judas, uh, Peter denied the Lord, and Judas betrayed the Lord, but Judas's faith failed, and Peter's faith did not fail. His faith not failing was to be seen in the fact that after he repented of his sin, he would be in a position to strengthen the other disciples. And this is what I think lies behind the Lord's uh, restoration of Peter at the end of the Gospel of John. Remember that Peter denied the Lord three times, and Peter was trying to be a stalwart, loyal follower. He's the one who chopped off Malchus's ear. He's the one who tried to fight in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then the Lord stopped him and healed the man's ear. Peter follows uh, Jesus to the, to the high priest's place. Uh, the apostle John is apparently known to the high priest family at some level, and he gets Peter in. Peter gets Peter goes into the belly of the beast, and in the belly of the beast, there denies the Lord three times, accompanied by cursing and swearing. At the end of the Gospel of John, that's what lies behind Jesus asking Peter three times if he loves him. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Do you? Now, I know there's some debate over, over this, but the, the word for love there changes, changes up. And so, some find a significance in that, some don't. I won't go into it here, but I think it is significant that Jesus asks Peter three times if he loves him, and Peter protests that he loves him, and then Jesus restores him to ministry. And Jesus saw this whole thing coming, because in the verse, I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, so that the, the fundamentals would stay sound with Peter. And when thou art converted, when, when you're turned around again, that he would be a strength to his fellow disciples, which he in fact was. So we're continuing on with the podcast. This is episode 228. And the book I want to talk about here is It's Good to Be a Man by Foster and Tennant, two gents who wrote this book together. It's Good to Be a Man. This is a book that is just full of bracing good sense, and it's a good, solid word to young 
Christian men. It's good to be a man. If you're a man, God made you to be a certain way. God made you to accomplish certain things. Those things ought to be embraced by you, studied by you, pursued by you, and they ought to be done. That ought to be done without um, without guilt. So now let me talk a little bit about what I think. Why I think this book is resonating. This book has um, has done very well since its launch. It's um, it's it's resonating among Christians, and here's why. We live in egalitarian times, and we live in times where masculinity, just good old-fashioned regular masculinity, is backhanded and dismissed as toxic masculinity. Uh, so masculinity of any kind is, is seen to be a problem. Men are the problem. Masculinity is the problem. And people will say, oh, no, it's only extreme masculinity. It's only extreme forms of behavior from men that are treated as toxic. But that's simply not true. Masculinity as such is greatly disparaged. And this means that a lot of young men are growing up not knowing what they are for. What is a man for? What's he supposed to do? Our entertainment our doesn't, doesn't present good and godly role models. Dad in sitcoms on television, dad is frequently an idiot. And masculine interests are mocked, disparaged, and so forth. So this, this book is simply saying, on a biblical basis, how it's good to be a man. Now, what this book does is, I think, speaks scripturally and biblically to young men who will otherwise be attracted to what you might call the YouTube or the online manosphere. There are voices out there who are, some of them, some of them uh, responsible, some of them not so responsible, uh, that have a huge following among young men because they are, they are telling young men to stand up straight and to make their bed and to get a job and to be responsible. And, and, and some of these are coming from explicitly non-believing positions, and some of them are from quasi-believers, uh, uh, people who are on the edge. I would put Jordan Peterson in that last category. Jordan Peterson is, I, I think, on the verge of becoming a Christian if he hasn't already. But he he made his name, and he got his following simply by providing straight talk to young men, sort of common grace talk or common sense talk to young men. And there are others who are more crass, might be the word for it, where in the subculture of pickup artists and and what's called the manosphere, manosphere on online, where men are talking about politically incorrect observations about the nature of men and the nature of women, and they, are, they frequently do so unconstrained by any kind of biblical sense of morality. So the biblical standard that requires sexual chastity, for example, from both men and women is just simply disregarded. Well, what you have here is basically, I would say the prime candidate for reading a book like this would be a young Christian man who is starved for instruction and teaching on how to be masculine in a constructive biblical way, but how to be genuinely masculine. And 
he looks all around in the evangelical world, in the Reformed and evangelical world, and he doesn't see anybody addressing that. He doesn't see anybody who's willing to say, it's good to be a man, and here's what God tells you to do about how to be good at being a good man. That place is um, pretty vacant. In evangelical circles, there are many preachers who have joined in the chorus of disparaging masculinity and who basically say, if you want to, if you want a happy marriage, then do it, do whatever your wife wants. And you know, so the, the helm of marriage and family is a feminine sensibility. Well, no, it's God's word. So it's not, it's not that the men are ultimately in charge, and it's not that the women are ultimately in charge. It's that God in his word is ultimately in charge. And God, when he made men masculine, knew what he was doing. And when he made women feminine, he knew what he was doing. Uh, This book, It's Good to Be a Man, does an excellent job of laying out the basics of how to think like a Christian man, how to behave like a Christian man, how to meet the challenge of our day. If you enjoyed this episode, check out Doug's page on Canon+. Plus. There you can listen to his audiobooks, watch his sermons, and more. Just click the link in the show notes and start listening today.